want to ask you all to uh, pray for me this coming week and the couple weeks. As uh, it's been announced, I'll be at camp meeting doing music all week. Uh, for the next several weeks, I'm going to be in and out. So you'll see me and you won't. And uh, Summer is kind of crazy at times. Next year, I don't have any camp meetings, so it just depends. I don't know if something may come in, uh, but I go to Greenville, Tennessee in a couple of weeks for that camp meeting. So I covet your prayers and um, we'll be praying for you as well. It's interesting, uh, last, here we go, Ryan, it worked about an hour ago, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll just, there we go, just give us a second. Ah, it's not working. We test it before the service, and this is the evil one's way of getting to us. You want to manually do it for me? All right. Interesting, the number of comments that I received after the message last week. I typically don't receive that many comments, and um, I think it, it struck a nerve with a number of people last week. Not sure why. Maybe it's because the church has been silent too long. And the church is just ready for someone to stand up and declare the truth and declare what we believe God's word says. And um, because I'm gone next week, uh, this really could be a series of messages, but I'm trying to pack as much as I can into this last message. So if you would just give me a little bit more time this morning, I believe God will have his way and speak to us. For more than 5,000 years... 5,000 years, depending upon how exactly you see creationism. But for more than 5,000 years, marriage has been defined as the union between one man and one woman. And this is how 31 states in America have defined marriage. They have even put this definition into their state's constitution. Only 18 out of 195 countries have recognized same-sex marriages. Get that? 18 out of 195 countries have recognized same-sex marriages. But a few weeks ago, America became the 19th. What's amazing is that only about 2% of our population declares itself to be of a homosexual orientation. 2%. Yet the Supreme Court not only ignored the vast majority, they also ignored God's original plan that has been in place since the dawn of creation. And as we hear one story after another, when the Ten Commandments are taken down here and taken down there, as God's commands, as His laws continue to be removed from the land, the laws of man are taking its place. And we are seeing catastrophic results. Just give you a quick review, if you weren't here with us last week. Let me just quickly tell you where we were at. I threw a lot of passages at you, a lot of scriptures at you. One of our main ones, you don't have to turn there, but one of our main, our main ones was in Leviticus chapter 18. 
In Leviticus chapter 18, God is telling Moses to tell Israel they had just come away from pagan Egypt, having been there for hundreds of years, 400 years. And they're getting ready to go into the pagan country of Canaan, where the Canaanites live. And God tells Moses to tell the Israelites not to be involved with certain sexual sins. He said it is a perversion to have sex with one's mother, with one's father, with one's sister or brother. It is a perversion to have sexual relationships with your aunt or with your uncle, with a son or daughter-in-law. It is there that he said adultery is forbidden. Not to sacrifice yourselves or anyone else in the fires of foreign gods or foreign idols. Also said that it is a perversion to have sex with an animal. It just bothers me to even be saying those words, especially from behind the pulpit. But this is God's word. This was the environment that uh, they were coming from and going into. And he said, you are not to have anything to be, uh, to be a part of any of that. And then we reviewed that in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Go ahead, Ryan. It says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Do you hear music? Heavenly music. All right. I don't know if that's somebody's alarm going off, but wake up. It's time to shut that off, all right? We can maybe identify that. It's amazing how those who fall on the side of homosexuality invent and create reasons why uh, these condemnations in the Bible do not relate to us today. You know, there are times whenever I'll say, how on earth can someone look at the word, look at God's word and realize what it says, but not believe what it says? How is that possible? I want to take a look at just a few of those today. Uh, Ryan, I'll just point. All right. We'll just do that. All right. Um, Let's start off with Jesus's words. Some people have said this. Jesus never talked about homosexuality, but he also um, it's true that he did not talk about homosexuality. And they'll say because of that, he neither endorsed it nor condemned it. So they will take that stance to say, so really Jesus is fine with it. True that he did not talk about homosexuality. However, if you go down that line of thought, he also never talked about incest, did he? Or he also never talked about threesomes, or any number of disturbing sexual combinations. But this is not an argument to say that he approves of these as well. However, Jesus did speak about sexuality and marriage, and he always affirmed it in the context of being one man and one woman. He always is consistent and was consistent with Scripture. You don't have to turn there, but if you're taking notes, you can look at that. It's in Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 9. You don't have to turn there now, but if you're taking notes, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 9, you can see some of the words that Jesus spoke. What about the text that I just referred to in Leviticus 18? That you are not to have sexual relationships with your mother or your father or a relative or an aunt or an uncle or adultery or all of those things that were listed in that passage. Some have tried to say that 
they've tried to water down this passage by saying that it stands not so much against the behaviors that were listed, but the pagan idol worship that surrounded the acts. They contend that the Israelites were surrounded by pagan Egypt and Canaan. But since we no longer live in such an environment, this passage should not be used to condemn homosexuality. What would you say to that? That reasoning, that line of thought has been used. What would you say to that? What I would say that if this is indeed true, then all of the things listed in Leviticus chapter 18 would now be open and free to pursue, right? This line of thinking would soon make it okay for a father to have sex with his daughter or son, right? As long as we express ourselves in a loving way, why can't a boy have sexual relations with his aunt or with his uncle? Bestiality all of a sudden should be made legal as well, right? By what criteria is one Levitical act discarded and another one permitted? You see, one quickly finds themselves in a moral quicksand. When they try to pick and choose what they want through a a humanistic relative reasoning. One final argument that we'll look at in this section is the scripture that we looked at last week, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, where Paul said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. I like this next verse because it just hammers the point home even more. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Those who fall on the side of homosexuality have given this argument. They have said that this passage is focusing more on the temple prostitution and the occult practices which existed in the city and the society of Corinth. I described to you last week how, how horrible, how corrupt, how degraded the culture of Corinth was at that time. And they would say that it was uh, uh, here that what was listed is totally different than today's healthy and committed same-gender sexual relationships which are nourished in a loving context. Okay? Well, first of all, one can see that from this passage, Paul is urging all of us that if you want to follow Jesus Christ, you are not to indulge in various things, and many of which are sexual sins. That we are to manage our sexual selves, which don't miss this Point. We are to manage ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. We are to manage our sexual selves, which through the power of the Holy Spirit, God has enabled you and I to do. Don't miss that point. No matter what it is, don't say, I just can't help myself. It's the way God made me. 
If it's taken a stance against in God's word, he's given you the power to stand against it. To argue against this text falls in line with the same line of reasoning that we just had with Leviticus 18, right? If we take a panoramic view of this passage, what is this passage telling us? It's telling us not to fornicate, do not worship idols, do not commit adultery, don't prostitute ourselves just following down the line here, don't practice homosexuality, don't steal or covet, be found drunk, don't be an abuser or a swindler, don't take advantage of others. To the one arguing on behalf of homosexuality, I would say this. How will you pick and choose from this list of nine marks what is now permissible and what isn't? If homosexuality is now okay in our society based on this text, is adultery now fine? Is prostitution now okay? Is it now okay to steal and to swindle people? Am I free to take advantage of someone in 2015 because the first century audience to whom the text was first written lived in a different world with a different kind of moral code? No. You see, this entire line of reasoning opens up an entire new realm of degradation. What it does, church, is it opens up Pandora's box for many dangerous things to happen. Now paving the way for these abominations to be considered legal. And I tell you, just wait. It's coming. Just wait. I heard Dr. James Dobson say recently that there is now a swell to allow the practice of polygamy to now enter the society and to be made legal as well. This just opens up the floodgates. Let me both declare and warn our country. This blatant disregard to God and his laws will not go unnoticed by the courts in heaven. As individuals and a country, we cannot play fast and loose with God and his ways and his laws. God, church, will not be mocked. We cannot pick and choose the things in the Bible that we like and discard the things that we don't like. One plays with spiritual fire when they alter the Word of God. After the Supreme Court ruling, some of what we were hearing, a lot of what we were hearing on social media were things like love wins, right? Love conquers. Tolerance. Let me tackle these as well. As civilized people and people of God, we cannot allow this to be a time or place for hate speech or hate crimes. No place, no time for that ever. We believe homosexuality to be a sin, but one does not win another to Christ by beating them down or making them feel less human. We must show the love of Jesus to them or else we will never impact those involved with this lifestyle. Amen? Amen. However, 
let me address this concept of love wins and tolerance. This, this mindset, those words that you hear thrown out there, this seems to convey a message that if we really want to love, if we really want to be loving people, we will just allow the act and the individual to go unchecked. As long as they are not hurting anyone or anything, just allow them to do what they want, and in the end, love will win. But let me unequivocally say, This is not what love is. This is not what love is. Love does not permit something to take place that is harmful or dangerous. On the contrary, love becomes love when one cares enough to tell someone involved with a harmful act that what they're doing will hurt them, will destroy them. That's what love is. As parents, we lovingly tell our kids and we show them love by lovingly correcting them when they do something wrong, not by allowing them to do whatever they want to do. I remember years ago, I don't know how old, I think it was Jenna. She's not here, so we can say this on her. I think it was Jenna, she was just, uh, I don't know, maybe five, six years old. And she walked out of um, she walked out of a Christian bookstore with a bracelet that had WWJD on it that no one paid for. <laughs> um, yeah, of all things, what would Jesus do? That's what she walked out. She really wanted it. Um, now, if love wins, we would just say, "We'll try it on. If it looks good, if it feels good, then I'm sure they don't mind. I'm sure they don't care." Really didn't harm. I mean, the, the 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 store's not going to miss that money. No. As loving parents, we marched her right back in there, and we made her go up to the front counter and tell the individual and tell the clerk what they had done. That's love. That's love. Just because I love them, I'm going to tell them that what they did is wrong, folks. We can love unconditionally, but it does not mean that we will justify, we will not condone, we cannot allow any kind of wrongdoing, we cannot wink, because God doesn't wink at sin. Cannot. So, but that word, love wins, that's a great concept, right? How does that apply? Love does win. You see, love won when Jesus hung on a cross, so listen, love One, when Jesus hung on a cross so that he could save us not in our sins, but save us from our sins. That's it. He could save us from our sins. Love wins. When our willingness to change, now hear me, follow the pattern here. When our willingness to change, repent, and turn from our sinful ways meets God's sacrificial love. Folks, love wins. That's when love wins. See, there's two sides. You have God's side of sacrificial love on the cross. Many people think that's just enough. Jesus loves you just the way that you are. 
I'm not going to condemn you as long as that makes you happy. There's the other side of love. Is that whenever we come to the end of ourselves and we realize that what we're doing is wrong. His word tells us it's wrong. When we change, when we come with a repentant, sorrowful heart, plus the sacrifice of God's love, that's when love wins. Some of you may have come back and wanted to hear the answer to this question right here. How does someone turn to homosexuality? Well, first off, let me just say I'm not a licensed psychologist Um, I'm not a professional, but I've done a little bit of reading and a little bit of research. And and I'm going to tell you where I believe uh, uh, what God has spoken to me on this, uh, what I personally think is happening. I've talked to many people down through the years that have said that their friend or a family member just seemed to be of a different persuasion from birth that it just seemed natural for them to, be, uh, to gravitate towards a homosexual lifestyle. Let me again remind you that we must begin and end with the Word of God. And nowhere in God's Word does it say that this lifestyle is permissible. We must begin and end there. But another point that I want to bring out is this. We know that Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But in addition to this, I also believe, I strongly believe this. I believe that every single person in here, every single one of us, we have certain tendencies and we have certain weaknesses. One might be prone to alcoholism. One might be prone to drug addiction. Someone might be prone to have a lot of anger or temper problems, gluttony, pornography, gambling, gossip, nicotine, materialism. I believe that some can worry to the point that they're involved with even sinful acts, sinful levels of worry, etc. And and some have a weakness in the area of sexual identification doesn't apply to everyone, but it applies to some. We all have our weaknesses, don't we? Let's just be a little real here this morning. Personally, I do not think that someone enters into a homosexual lifestyle very simple, very simply. It's not a simple thing. I don't believe that one gets up one day and just makes the decision, I think I'm going to be gay today or I think I'm going to be straight today. Life does not work like that, especially life at the core of our being, which is where our sexuality resides. You see, there are many factors that go into one's decision to be homosexual. These are some of the things that I believe that go into it. The material world, one's physical world, one's experimental world, things that one experiments with circumstances and the things that happen to us in life, one's spiritual or mental, emotional, relational experiences. All of these things and more, they play a part into one's sexual identity, if you think about it. And if you take any of these or a combination thereof and allow Satan to work his evil, 
It's easy to see how someone could grow up confused. And then perhaps let's take it a step further. You take this person with this weakness, put them in a home where God and Jesus is non-existent. Then take one of the parents away from the home to where the child is raised in either a feminine or masculine dominated environment. One can see how a child might be confused about their sexual orientation. Or maybe within the home of a father and a mother, maybe a father and a son have a very dysfunctional relationship and it's never been good from the get-go or vice versa with a mother and a daughter. These are some of the things that I've read, some of the things that I've heard, some of the things that just make sense to me. Or maybe the child is taught some confusing truths about their sexuality at home and at school and it's going to happen even more. Watch out. Watch out. Here come the textbooks. They're already in there now, but they'll be even more so now. Or maybe the child was a victim of some horrific abuse. Take these or a combination of any of them and one can see how it's possible that someone can be lured into this. Not to mention the onslaught of the media that you hear and TV and the things. God help us. I believe, was it um, the Duggars? Were they on the TLC network? Is that right? Okay. Um, They're now off. And I've already gone there with that, and we need to pray for that family and for something I believe they've, been, uh, they've just been uh, crucified for practically. And I don't know if some of you have recently saw uh, an advertisement, but they have a new show, and it's, it's all about being raised different. And they have the cutest little 8 or 9, 10-year-old girl, and she says boldly to the camera, Hi, my name is so-and-so, and, and I'm transgender. And already they're flooding, and now this has opened the, the floodgates and opened the doors for all kind of things. God help us. God help us. All of us, if left to our carnal selves, would give in to various weaknesses and temptations. Listen, God does not intend, let me, let me bring out this point. I don't believe that God intends for everyone to marry. haven't heard that very often, have you? To not marry is not a bad thing. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul was not married and he wished that everyone were as he were. If you want to see where that's at in Scripture, you can, on your own personal study time, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Why did he say this? Why is that? Well, just, and, and actually, Stephanie and I had a conversation about this not too long ago. Um, when you're not married, there's not a whole lot that gets in the way of you and your service for God. You know, you don't necessarily have a family, you don't have a wife and a kid, so, you know, it's just you and God. You're able to devote, man, you have your life just all for God, but when you're married, man, now it's part of your time, part of your attention is now spent on making your house, your husband or your wife satisfied and happy. Now you have kids that you have to be involved with, and that's all wonderful and good, but 
Sometimes it takes us away from the service of the Lord. And, and I believe that's the point that the Apostle Paul was trying to get at. It's not a bad thing to never marry. It actually is a gift. It's described in God's word as a gift from God. Now hear me out on this. Those of us who have not struggled with sexual tendencies, we must not look down our noses at those who have because we all have struggles. We all have weaknesses. We all have tendencies to fall prey to sinful ways just like the homosexual does, say amen or ouch. In God's eyes, our struggles can be no different than theirs. Maybe you didn't expect me to go here. You see, our society, we we tend to put labels and levels on sins, don't we? We do that. We make some things worse than others, but in God's eyes, a sin is a sin. Someone who struggles and often gives in to the sin of anger or private lust or pornography, they are in no less need of a Savior than one who struggles with their sexual identity. No less. We all need God to help us. Our needs are just different. On this point, let me make one final point. I do not believe, based on all of that, I do not believe in the line of thinking, I do not believe that God made the homosexual. Many people say, well, God made them that way. I don't believe that based on what we've talked about, based on Scripture. I do not believe that's true. I do not believe that God made the homosexual any more than he made the alcoholic an alcoholic. Any more than he made a thief a thief. Any more than God made a murderer a murderer. We are all products of our environments, our experiences and choices made out of such. But let me make one point clear before I go into my final portion. When it comes to our weaknesses or the weakness of a homosexual, we all have a choice. We all have a choice. We will either live under the power of the Holy Spirit to conquer our sin, to conquer our weakness, or we will give in and make excuses and justify. You see, the Word of God in Galatians specifically talks about this. Excuse me, go back. Go back, brother. I thought it was, uh, thought it was there. I guess it's not. Uh, Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Turn there if you want to. Turn there. Galatians 5, I want you to see it. Galatians 5. This whole portion could be read. Just a couple of verses, though. We all have a choice. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, 
and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. See, there's that war, there's that constant battle between our flesh, the carnal nature, and the will of God, the Spirit of God. Many times it's at war, it's, it's conflicting with one another. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to say there, and what I'm trying to say is you have a choice whether or not to give yourself totally and completely over to Jesus Christ, whether or not you're going to allow the Spirit of God to fill you, you have a choice to do that today. You can wake up tomorrow and say, you know what, I don't feel like giving myself to the Holy Spirit. And you know what, your life is going to suffer for it as well. Give yourself totally to Jesus Christ. I've heard story upon story as well about how people who have once been an alcoholic, how God has filled them, empowered them, and they no longer have that desire. Some have to, some have to ride on their knees to heaven to keep having victory over that every day of their life. I don't know why some people get instantaneous victory and some people just, it's a daily struggle. It's a daily thing. That's okay. Lay it down daily before the Lord. We've heard of people, same thing with cigarettes, you know. They give it to the Lord. They give it over to Him. And I've heard the same thing about people in a homosexual lifestyle. They were able to get out of it when they submitted their life to Jesus Christ. That's right. And lastly, these messages that I've preached, as I said, are are not necessarily geared at the individual. Today was a little bit more so, but at the act. But this message applies to the entire United States of America. For you see, any society to not just survive but thrive, there must be a set of standards and guidelines that define who they are. Without this moral code of ethics, that society will fall prey to all sorts of evil and corruption, one day collapsing on itself due to the internal moral decay. Man, if I had more weeks to, to preach on this, I would bring out this point right here. Uh, there, there was one day that Jesus stood before Pilate, the great Roman Empire, and they had that discussion back and forth about truth. What is truth? And he was looking in the very eyes of the one who was truth. Truth. And the Roman Empire decided not to go the way of truth. And it collapsed on itself because of moral decay. God help America. If things don't change, if things don't turn, we're going the same path, the same direction as Rome. But America became great because we were established on Judeo-Christian principles. You may have heard these statements before, and I threw one up there, but they bear repeating. And this is just a snippet of what is out there. John Jay, the first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, the first justice said this, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is their duty, as well as privilege and interest of our Christian nation, to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Wow. Next is John Adams, signer of the Declaration of Independence, judge, second president of the United States. 
he said this, The general principles upon which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Then he said, The Christian religion is above all the religions that ever prevailed or existed in ancient or modern times. I have examined all religions, and the result is that the Bible is the best book in the world. Next, John Quincy Adams, sixth president of the United States, Secretary of State, U.S. Senator and Representative. He said, my hopes of a future life are all founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. He then said, in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is then dissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior. The Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. And then lastly, Congress, the Judiciary Committee, 1854, had the people, said they said this, had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. And then they said this, in this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. Wow! Wow! Oh, that those statements could be read on the floor of our Senate today. That those statements could be read on the floor of the House of Representatives. Oh, that those statements could be read in the Oval Office. Oh, that those statements could be read and heard in the chamber of our Supreme Court justices. Man. Last verse. Romans 13.1 Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Yes, we make some statements here that I don't know how this will sit with some people in the government, but I'm going to say it anyways. We are to live in subjection to the rules and the laws of the land. But did you catch the second sentence there? It just told us that we are under God's authority. That there is no authority other than God's. If we live outside of His authority, then we will live in a land outside of His blessings. We will be a people without God. And because of this, when any rule or law of man goes against God's rules... We as followers of Jesus Christ, we must choose God. We must choose His ways, His commandments, His precepts at all costs. All costs. Listen, we don't get to choose what is right and wrong. Wait a minute, wait. Yeah, we do, don't we? We have chosen what is right and wrong. You see, God has given mankind free will, right? And we can choose whatever course we want to take. However, this is what I want to say, what we do not get to do is rewrite God's laws. 
He is the supreme lawgiver, and He alone determines ultimate and final truth. Contrary to what we often hear, there are not multiple paths to right and wrong. Let me say that again. Contrary to what we are uh, told through the media and through school and everything, there are not multiple paths to right and wrong. God gives us the ability to choose whether or not we will obey His laws, but we don't get to define, we don't get to redefine, we don't, want, don't get to change what He says is true and right and holy. Not ours to choose. That's already been set long ago. There can only be one and only one person worthy to create laws of nature and human nature, and that is our God, our Lord God, Jehovah God Almighty. In life, all of us must make a decision about truth on this topic of homosexuality. The mature person will make this decision apart from their own feelings, their hoped-for outcomes, or how they think things should be. I'm telling you, church, standing for the truth will cost us something. I'm not sure what's coming, but Satan is coming indeed. As a church... I am looking and we are looking at our bylaws to make sure that there is a statement of faith and a statement of truth on this topic. Uh, the National uh, Church of God in Anderson, Indiana, they have made a statement as such. But I want to make sure that our church, the Barsmill Church of God, has definite statements on this. I don't know what's coming. Um, I, I don't know what's coming. If someone comes to me, a homosexual couple wants me to marry them, I will not do it. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Church, elders, deacons, we're going to have to talk because a, a, a homosexual couple may, may come. They may not want me to marry them, but they may want to use our fellowship hall. They may want to use the church. I believe uh, Nathan told me uh, a couple weeks ago that he has heard that there is now a well-funded, well-organized organization who is solely out to take down businesses and churches. They're coming. Are coming. And here's the question, and I end. Will we stand for God, or will we bow to the pressures against us in God's Word? As for me in my house, and wherever God calls me to minister, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve God. I say that without the fear of persecution right now. I say that without people coming in, and I say that now with, I, don't, I have no idea. Um, he is my everything. He is my all. Uh, I owe him everything. And uh, so get ready. I want to end uh, with a video this morning. Um, I don't know, last week we gathered around and we gathered around as a family and we prayed. We asked God to help us and to forgive us and to heal our land. Uh, um, you know, I believe this, this video talks about, 
You know, all of us right now, or most of us, if we were to reach in our pocket or your purses or your wallet, there's something on there that we all stand by. In God, we trust. Right? In God, we trust. But I believe that we can only trust God when we're willing to follow and obey him. See, that's a two-way street as well. We want to trust God. We trust someone that is going to take care of us, that's going to help us, that's going to bless us. But, oh God... I pray that he will hear us as a nation, as believers. Regardless of what our leaders say, it's in God that we still trust, for he is our only hope. May this be a wake-up call for believers to rise up and be counted, to love yet stand for the truth, the truth of God's word. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, We don't say these things, God, with hatred or anger in our hearts. God, I believe that there's many individuals around this world that are confused about who they are and about what they are. God, what they need is they need Jesus. They need Jesus to bring clarity to their situation, to their life. God, I pray that you would help us, that we would be a people. God, it's going to be one person at a time that when we leave, that we will stand up for your principles. But, God, we would love the individual, not condone or not say it's okay, but we lovingly tell them what your word says and that if they want to reach heaven, God, if they want to be found pleasing in your sight, Lord, we have to tell them the truth. God, I pray that you would be with us as a country. God, I don't know what's going to happen. God, give us leaders who will stand up for your truth, your ways, your commands. God, I pray that, Lord, we've heard leaders say that this is no longer just a Christian nation. God, we thank you for the freedom that it's afforded many faiths and many other uh, religions to, to practice. But God, we are first and foremost a Christian nation. God, this is what we were founded upon. This is what made our country great. And God, we were leaving that. We were backing away from that. God, I pray you'd help us as believers to stand up again for that. Whatever that means, whatever you're calling us to do, that we would do that. Not just how we vote, although that's a huge part of it, God, but, Lord, how we live our lives. You want us to impact hearts and lives one at a time, where we work, where we go get our groceries, the ball game, uh, uh, Lord, the gas station, Lord, the, the, the neighbors that we have around us. You want us to affect them one by one for Jesus Christ. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, amen.